Well, good evening and welcome to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church to our Good Friday communion service. Uh, my name is Duncan. Uh, I have the privilege of serving as pastor here and I want to extend an especially warm welcome to you if you're visiting with us tonight. We have a very simple ambition tonight and that is to reflect on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be puzzled by the decor around us. Um, it is a healthy reminder to us that we remember the death of the Lord, we remember his saving work, not in a vacuum, but actually in the midst of a mission. And that's what you see round about us here, the, the, the remnants of our kids club that has been running this week. We are engaged in a mission to reach people with the message of the cross where we meditate tonight. So it's quite simple, really. We will stand to sing, and for everything else, we'll be seated. Some folks are going to read for us. We're going to be reading through some of John's gospel tonight, and we're going to be led in some hymns that help us to reflect on the Lord Jesus. So let me pray. Yes, Father, we do want to thank you for this opportunity to gather together like this. Lord, even as we look around this room, um, there are differences. Lord, each one of us is unique. Each one of us has traveled a, a unique journey, is in a unique relationship with the Lord Jesus. And yet, for all of that uniqueness and for all of the things that we could say cause us to differ, we have come to the same place tonight, and not just to a church hall in Bankery, but specifically tonight, we come to the cross of Jesus Christ, the place where each one of us needs to be found. We come here together, whatever route it has taken us to come here, to gaze upon Jesus Christ, the only Savior of fallen men and women. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to see him more clearly, help us to, to love him more fully to worship him more truly and to trust him personally and know the joy of sins forgiven and eternal life with him. May this truly be a time of worship as we reflect on your great love towards us in Jesus Christ. We pray, amen. Well, let me read to you from John's Gospel, chapter 18. John, chapter 18, from verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them, 
and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Good evening, everybody. The second reading is taken from John chapter 19. Jesus sentenced to be crucified. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you 
or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Our third reading is from John chapter 19 and verse 17. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see where it shall be. This was to fill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son, then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine, sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. 
and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Amen. In this account that we've read, there's a lot to take in, isn't there? I think if we had stood that day in the shadow of the cross, it would be a long time reflecting on all that we'd seen and heard. There would have been many days of, and did you notice that? And did you hear that? There were things that were said. There were miraculous happenings. Your mind would go to who was present. And this is actually one of the reasons why we are blessed to have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because really what we have in those four Gospels is four witnesses. And they each have their own emphases, just as you would expect any time you asked four different witnesses of the same event, they would have different things that really stood out to them. And tonight, of course, we've been listening to John's recollections. John has some unique things. Uniquely, John recalls Jesus' care for his mother from the cross. And I suppose that's not surprising. For it was John who became like a new son to her. What stands out is the number of times John says that Jesus' death was the fulfillment of Scripture. I wonder if you noticed that as we read through those verses. John sees that there is a huge depth of meaning to everything that takes place here at Jesus' death. The soldiers are casting lots to decide who gets to take home Jesus' clothes. I mean, what a low view of Jesus Christ. How degrading for him. But in verse 24 of chapter 19, John can see that there's more going on here than just soldiers uh, gambling for profits. No, for John, this is the fulfillment of Psalm 22, which he quotes. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. And then again, even in the simple phrase that Jesus speaks in verse 28, I thirst. There is so much more than someone simply expressing that they could do with a drink. No, John says here that it was said to fulfill Scripture. If we were to read on down to verse 36, we would read that none of Jesus' bones were broken. Why? To fulfill the Scriptures. But it's on that short phrase, I thirst, that I want to dwell for a few moments here this evening. And we're going to come back to that idea of fulfillment, but I want to just make a a, a, a basic point, I suppose, but hopefully a worthwhile point. You know, one of the things that makes God God is that He is utterly self-sufficient. Nobody ever gives God anything. Everything that God needs to be God, He has in Himself. 
God never senses a lack of something. God never has a sense of loneliness. God is never hungry. And you can be sure that God never thirsts. Now, here we have Jesus who declared himself to be the Son of God. And John is at pains to show us throughout his gospel that in doing so, Jesus was making himself equal with God. And so here we have a strange thing happening, don't we? The one who claims to be equal with God is the one who on the cross would exclaim, I thirst. But what we're seeing here as we see throughout the account of Jesus' life is that the Son of God has become truly human. He has become truly human. He has entered into the frailty of human existence. Elsewhere, you would read of Jesus being tired after a long journey. You would read of him weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. You would read of him being hungry, asking for food. And here, among the last words that he speaks before he dies, his true humanity is on show. I thirst. Something feeble about that, isn't there? I thirst. Well, the second thing I want to show you is to come back to this idea of fulfillment. And that is really to say that when Jesus says, I thirst here, he is showing us that he is, if I can put it this way, he's the real deal. I mean, throughout Israel's history, there had been many false dawns. Uh, even in the years preceding Jesus' emergence onto the scene, there had been some popular uprisings among the Jews against their Roman rulers Someone would rise to the fore, they would lead a rebellion, they would set themselves up as some kind of Messiah figure, some promised deliverer for Israel, and just as quickly as they rose up, they would be struck down. False messiahs who would bring no peace. And was Jesus going to be the same? And, and for all the world, it looks like he is, doesn't it? Here he is, filled with so much hope and expectation, and now here he is, dying on a Roman cross. But Jesus really is the fulfiller of all that the Scriptures prophesied. And it's worth mentioning here because... Well, it's worth us trying to understand what, what was fulfilled here, because John doesn't specifically tell us, does he? Knowing, verse 28, knowing that all was now finished, Jesus said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. The fulfillment here is not actually so much in the words that Jesus says, but in the response that it brought forth from others. In Psalm 69, you would read these words, reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And this is exactly what Jesus' declaration of thirst brings forth. Verse 29, a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. To look on at this scene, Jesus is the most helpless and powerless 
of figures. His hands and feet have been nailed to a wooden cross. What possible influence could he have on the actions of a Roman soldier who has just been exercising his power over him? To look on, we would say none. But this is recorded here to show us Jesus is the real deal. Not to say that somehow Jesus miraculously moved the soldier, but actually that all of these happenings round about Jesus confirm that he is the promised Messiah. It was prophesied that the one who would suffer ultimately for sins would be given sour wine to drink for his thirst. And here it happens. The true Savior whom God has promised has arrived. His life fulfills all that God has promised. So Jesus has come, the Son of God, as a human being in fulfillment of all of Scripture. That's who he is. But this small detail, this in the original single word that comes from Jesus' mouth, tells us something also of what he's doing on the cross. I mean, this is God's Son. It's right for us to want to know why would God's Son suffer in this way? I mean, this is the most painful death that man could devise for a criminal. And here, the Son of God endures it. And it's more painful than we even realize. And it's this detail that he said, I thirst, that helps us to see that. Over in Matthew's gospel, another witness to the death of Jesus, he emphasizes some other aspects of the crucifixion, but it helps us get a sense of where these words fit in in the story. Here's Matthew's account. Now from the sixth hour, that's uh, 12 noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, that's three in the afternoon. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran, took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. This is the point at which Jesus says those words. After those three hours of darkness, after he had given that cry to God of why have you forsaken me, it's at that moment Jesus says, I thirst. I mean, think about this. The land was plunged into darkness for three hours. This idea that the sun couldn't get through this darkness that descended on the scene. It must have been cold. It must have been freezing. And yet Jesus thirsts. I want to read one more scripture to help us get to the bottom of this. It's found in Luke chapter 16. It's a terrifying passage of scripture, actually. It's often called a parable. But there's not really much by way of symbolism about it. It's a story that Jesus told of two men, one rich and the other poor. 
The rich man lived a luxurious lifestyle. He had everything that he could ever want, and yet he cared nothing for the poor beggar who sat at his gate every day. There was nothing of godliness in this rich man. His hope and his great pleasure was in his wealth, in the here and now. The beggar, who was called Lazarus, he had nothing. His only hope could be in God, for that was all he had. Well, the rich man and the poor man, they both died. And this is where we'll pick up the story that Jesus tells. The beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Now, I don't really want to go into the details of that story. I just really want to make one or two really simple points. Jesus makes it very plain, doesn't he? For the one who does not know God, who has utter disregard for God, who lives life for self, for that kind of one, death is a gateway into misery. It is a description of what it means to, to suffer the judgment of God. It is a description of the penalty that sin deserves. Sin is what the Bible calls living for self, making ourselves our own God and disregarding the God who made us. And there's not one of us who can say that somehow we're exempt from that category. Which one of us hasn't done that? We have all sinned. We have all rebelled against God. And the way the wrath of God is described here, the way this hell is described is a place of burning, it parches the soul, and the overwhelming feeling that this once rich man experiences is that he needs his tongue to be cooled with water. It's harrowing, isn't it? Friends, this is what Jesus Christ experienced on the cross on Good Friday almost 2,000 years ago. The undiluted wrath and judgment of God against sin was poured out on him. And we have to be amazed by that because here is the, the thing that just doesn't add up. Jesus had no sin he lived the perfect life of obedience to God, the life that none of us has lived. And yet here on the cross, he cries out in agony under the judgment of God saying, I thirst. And he suffers in this way, not for himself. He had no sin. He does so in the place of of others. And this, folks, is the significance of the death of Jesus when we can say, he died for me. 
He suffered in my place. He experienced the fullness of God's judgment and of hell so that I should never need to face it. And so when we come together like this and we meditate on the cross of Christ this evening, that cross has a sobering message for every one of us. It says this, you're a sinner. It says you're a sinner who deserves judgment. That penalty that was heaped on Jesus is what each one deserves. But this same cross also tells another story, a wonderful story that says you are more loved by God than you could ever imagine because he himself came down as a human being, the real deal, to endure this suffering for you. And on the third day, the depth of the significance of the cross was confirmed because God rose, raised Jesus from the dead. And this Jesus is yours. This is the great delight of coming together like this. This is the great privilege I have is that I don't get just to, to say that these things are true. I get to say this Jesus is for you, for you. And maybe you've never even thought of the death of Jesus in these kind of terms before. It's for you if you come to him believing, believing that he really is a savior for you, that it really was all for you and you turn from serving self and you give yourself to him. And the promise that he gives is you'll be saved. You will never know the severity of that judgment that he faced on the cross. So tonight as we stand together in the shadow of the cross, we must look to Jesus. And if we really see who he is, we must trust him. Maybe tonight that breaks you. Maybe that needs to break you to understand that the Lord would love you with this kind of love. But he does. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Uh, we do meet on Sunday at 11 o'clock. You're very welcome to come to our Easter Sunday service. Uh, but for now, let me pray as we close. Now go in peace. May your confidence be in the Lord, for the Son of Righteousness has risen with healing in his wings. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.